This is a Rooster Teeth production. Born of the early oral traditions of the 13th and 14th centuries, nursery rhymes, like their fairy tale cousins, can have a very dark and macabre origin stories. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover morbid and macabre history, topics, people, places, ideas, and I guess nursery rhymes. In the case of this episode, I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. In season five of Seinfeld, there's an episode where Jerry and Elaine are pondering the importance of the uh, good old pinky toe. Mm -hmm. Elaine says, sure, the pinky toe is cute, but I mean, what is it? It's useless. It does nothing. It's got that little nail that is just impossible to cut. What do we need it for? And then Jerry responds, because Elaine, that's the one that goes wee, 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 wee all the way home. Wee, wee, wee all the way home. It's like not even, it's not even a joke. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you know, if George was there, he would have had something to say about how the second to smallest toe was vastly underestimated. Classic George. He's, he's always yeah. upset. George is getting upset. <laughs> you know. uh, you'd have to live uh, on another planet to not know what Jerry and Elaine were referencing. They were talking about the nursery rhyme known as this little piggy. <laughs> and you know the one where you might tickle and pinch a toddler's toes while you recite it to them? The rhyme goes in full as follows. Take it away, Jess. This little piggy went to the market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had roast beef. And this little piggy had none. And this little piggy went wee, 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 wee all the way home. That was beautiful. <laughs> that's because that's how my mom did it to oh. me. <laughs> oh my gosh, is she going to listen to this? Now I hope she does. I hope so too. Um, give some good memories, but also yeah. darkness. Uh, yes, yes. Oh, your mom's in for a rude awakening <laughs> this episode. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's a really, really cute little rhyme. But in 2018, there was a big hubbub on Twitter when people realized that maybe this little rhyme wasn't as adorable and innocent as they and Jerry and Elaine once perceived it to be. One discerning Twitter user had the striking epiphany that perhaps the rhyme alluded to a much darker fate for these pigs, more (laughs) specifically that they were being prepared for the slaughter. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Um, not to laugh. This is just no, it is just funny. They're not but, real pigs, people. Yeah, <laughs> OK. <laughs> yeah. No, the piggy who went to the market wasn't going shopping. He was going to the market to be sold, to be killed and eaten. And when you're a kid, you totally have the mental image of this little piggy with a he's got a little basket on his arm. and He's going to go buy groceries. <laughs> You know, (laughs) well, yeah, Yeah. because I mean, you know, in like children's books, there's tons of like, you know, animals that are doing normal. Yes. Anthropomorphic things. But no, he was (laughs) he's going to market to be sold priced for market. Right. Absolutely. And then the little piggy that stayed home. Well, he would have been sent to market, but he wasn't plump and fat enough and ready to be sold. So he stayed home. Yeah, he stayed home. The little piggy having roast beef was, in fact, being fattened up. Yes. And eating his cow cousin. Which is also morbid. And yeah, so like, and the one that's going wee 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 all the way home, I have to imagine is probably like the offspring of the one that was murdered at market and is crying. Yeah, that's not even in the notes here, but just thinking on it now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it just gets darker and darker. Uh, Hopefully this is not anything new to our listeners. You're not having a heartbreaking 
you know, epiphany right now that's shattering your childhood memories too. <laughs> no, this this is bleak stuff for piggies and, and the lovers of little piggies. Truly. And with that being said, you know, this is one interpretation of this rhyme and it's a rhyme with unknown origins. The earliest known published collection of nursery rhymes was Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook published in London in 1744. And it appears that once rhymes started getting dedicated to the page written down, that's when people really started to take notice of nursery rhymes and not in a good way. No. In the 19th century, there was a strong push to revise and reform the content of nursery rhymes fed to children, which gave rise to the British Society for Nursery Rhyme Reform. In this society, they pushed for bodlerization, which is a fancy word for adapting and changing and editing content that this society deemed to be offensive or inappropriate. Yeah, and all this begs the question, why were so many classical children nursery rhymes so dark? Yeah. <laughs> what where did they why did they like come from darkness and then, you know, made to be the, like this fantasy beautiful type of <laughs> cute yeah. little thing? Well, there's no one blanket explanation. In some cases, rhymes were a cryptic way for the masses to speak poorly of the noble class and monarchs without invoking their return ire. Which I love. I love the idea of sending coded insults or uh, revolts via rhymes. Mm -hmm. And other reasoning for it, it could be like just a subtle teaching device to warn children of dangers in life. Rhymes are teaching tools that aid children also with like their social development and even just their cognitive learning. That bouncy rhythm of a rhyme or a poem can help children with like memory retention and learning. And, mm -hmm. and I just have to say, Jess, like I do really love, we're talking about this episode and we're debunking some of these, but I do really like that nursery rhymes when they do and, and fairy tales and stuff, I like when they have that like double entendre dark meaning to them. Absolutely. I do too as an adult, but, but as a child, I'm not understanding any of the, the darkness or the double meaning or I will get into it later no. with another one like ashes to ashes and ring around the rosy and all that. Like, yeah, I did not. I literally thought that that piggy was going to like H-E-B or Ralph's. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so yeah, I just yeah. was like, this is great fun. And then all the adults are like, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. But in the Victorian era in particular, death was, you know, a very prevalent part of life and a constant topic of conversation. And medieval Europe was plagued by death and violence. So naturally, rhymes were a reflection of what was happening within the society. Yeah. And like, Con, you know, conversely to that, sometimes rhymes are just rhymes. They're just like simple entertainment fodder akin to maybe, you know, somebody going into a pub and telling a dirty limerick or whatever. Like there's no subtext. There's no nothing underlying it. But with nursery rhymes, they have to come from somewhere. So it's a, it's a light place or a dark place. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And a big surprise here, uh, today we're focusing on some of these dark and grisly rhymes and the history and forming their origins. Yes. One catch, though, in our research, the meaning behind some of these rhymes is still hotly contested today. So some of the rhymes that we're talking about have had meanings applied to them, widely applied to them, which have since been debunked, or you can't exactly confirm because they've been told for centuries and centuries. And uh, we're going to kick off this episode with one of those rhymes. It's an extremely well-known and popular one. You know it. I know it. Jess has it tattooed on her lower back. Um, <laughs> you weren't supposed to know that. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's ring around the rosy. 
Yes, Ring Around the Rosie. I do not have it tattooed in my lower back, just to set things clear, Elise. Um, there are a few different versions of Ring Around the Rosie, but the one that we mostly grow up uh, hearing in North America goes like this. Ring around the Rosie, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. That was so good. <laughs> God, I haven't said that, saying it in forever. <sighs> When's the last time I did that? No, you missed. Thank you, you for giving me that. Th- it just awakened something in me. Mm-hmm. Like that I it's like you know in Ratatouille when the critic eats the ratatouille and then he yes. like his whole childhood. That's what Aww. happened here. Did your like whole childhood flash before your eyes? Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> oh, okay, never mind then. But anyway, so there's Ring Around the Rosie and Jess sang those really popular lyrics. But there are other versions around the world and throughout history. Some replace ashes with tissues. And some substitute for completely different lines altogether. And when this is sung, it's usually by children who are like holding hands, walking in a circle, and then they tumble to the ground at the all fall down part. Yes. Yeah. Um, Now there are various interpretations as to what the original meaning and intention of the poem was. But after World War II, it took on an entirely unique interpretation that is now often misattributed. This is fascinating because if you had told me like, This is what I would think it was about. Um, It's been perpetuated that Ring Around the Rosie is about the plague, Um, more specifically the Black Death, which brought Europe to its knees during the 14th century. And then again during the 17th century when they had the bubonic plague outbreak. And if you break down the lyrics, it's easy to see why this happened, because it really sounds like the song is talking about the play. It really like if you do critical analysis on this, you're like, oh, yeah, this this could definitely mean this and this could mean this. It makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like a tissue could be a reference to sneezing because you're sick and a pocket full of posies might mean the flowers that plague doctors stuffed in their masks. You know, those beak like masks they wore to filter out the stench of death. And then also um, like I think that if under some plague circumstances, you might get these little like ring welts or something on your body, red, red rings. So like mm-hmm. it could be the ring, the rosy ring. Could, yeah. Yeah. And ashes could mean the ashes generated from burning bodies. And uh, we all fall down could be a literalization of somebody falling down dead. Yes. Like it all checks out. And if we hadn't worked on this episode, we'd probably still believe the poem was about the plague. But it's not. Nope. And there is a lot of evidence indicating that it's not. This nursery rhyme didn't seem to gain any traction in Britain until the late 19th century, almost 200 years after the last plague outbreak. And it wasn't until 1881 that Ring Around the Rosie was put down in print in Kate Greenaway's Mother Goose and the old nursery rhymes. In the 14th century, also, burning bodies was wildly sacrilegious, and even the contagious dead were still buried in plague pits per religious custom. Like, the the analysis of, oh, the ashes could be the burning of bodies, I think that's a misconception. The plague bodies were burned because they would just build these big pits and toss everyone in them. And we, we've had other episodes where we've talked about, like, people going in those pits to to take their dead, and they even get the plague from mm-hmm. going in those pits. Mm-hmm. Moreover, as we mentioned, the lyrics of the poem change depending on where and when it's sung. Just listen to uh, a German version printed in 1776. It goes like this. A ring, a ring, around dance. We are the children three. We sit under the elder bush and all go hush, hush, hush. Yeah. And that doesn't sound like it's about the plague at all. <laughs> Does nope, it? No, it doesn't. Yeah. No. 
According to a Mental Floss magazine article posted in 2004, quote, Ring Around the Rosie is actually from the Victorian era when many Protestants banned dancing. Children found a way around the band by having play parties, and that's how the game originated. In fact, it's probably about nothing more than picking flowers, quote. <laughs> so we thought it was about the plague, but it's actually about the movie Footloose starring Kevin Bacon and John Lithgow, <laughs> where they had to invent a secret way to dance because for some reason these grown men hate dancing so much. That's it. We, we got it. <laughs> we got to we the cracked it. it. <laughs> and can I just say, um, for a podcast about morbid things, we sure like debunking them and proving how they're not morbid. It's um, so funny. Yeah, it's probably not great for our brand. You want to take us uh, to the next nursery rhyme, Jess? Yes, yes. How about some good old Jack and Jill? Um, you know this one? I know this one. Here we go. Um, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and bumped his crown and Jill came tumbling after. Oh, to be fair, this poem always sounded pretty painful to me as a kid. Like, I, I think as a child, I was like, I knew that making light of them falling down the hill seemed a little bit twisted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Jack and Jill, maybe it's just a fun poem detailing some hilarious pratfalls. Right, Jess? Right, right? It could be. No, could be. it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. There's one school of thought that the titular Jack and Jill of the poem are a reference to none other than the doomed King Louis XVI and his queen, Marie Antoinette. And uh, it might be about them. And we'll find out if it is after a word from our sponsors. Obviously, we talk about all things morbid on the show, but there's a future morbid thing that really keeps me up at night. It's got to be climate change. <laughs> Yes. It feels like every day there's a new terrible thing, like the Texas ice storm a couple weeks ago. It's nerve wracking. And I've been trying to change my shopping habits, shop more sustainably. It's something that I have personal control over. Yes, which is great because this episode is sponsored by Rothy's. Rothy's makes chic, sustainable shoes and bags with their signature thread made from repurposed single-use plastic bottles. I love that. Some of their best-selling shoes, like the flat and the point, are made from 11 recycled plastic bottles. So cool. They're really durable shoes, too. So you can keep them a long time and and you're not, you know, just going through shoes, tossing them out, reduce waste. Absolutely. Yes. And you can wash them, which I love. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, climate guilt aside, they're really fashionable with vibrant colors that let you really personalize your palette. Yeah. So sustainability and joy. Plus, 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 plus. They are super comfortable. Mm -hmm. Super. I have um, some some white slip-ons from them, and uh, I wear them almost every day without socks. And actually, I don't know if it's just me or it's just the shoe, but they do not smell when I do not wear socks with them. Have you washed them? Because I've washed mine and had great results. I have washed them, but I've only washed them once, so I can't attribute the non-smell oh. to that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. Um, oh. Well, I can speak to my experience. <laughs> <laughs> because I know I've I have these kind, of, these kind of like light green um slip-on boots and they are so cute but also you know they're lighter and so they get kind of dirty and I've washed them and they come out looking brand spanking new that's what I love about Rothy's it's great so to our listeners for stylish and sustainable shoes shop Rothy's get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash 30 mm that's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash 30 M-M. And speaking of sustainability, this episode is also sponsored by Electric E-Bikes. Electric E-Bikes, great way to get around, whether it's for errands, groceries, or just for fun. 
our carbon footprint is one of the small things that we have control over, like with our our clothing. And Electric's all-new Expedition Cargo e-bike can do even more, whether you're hauling groceries, gear, even another passenger. It's got a carrying capacity of 450 pounds, and it can reach up to 150 miles on a single charge thanks to its double battery setup. Electric actually has a full lineup of quality, feature-packed e-bike models that will transform how you get around. And they cost so much less than the competition with financing as low as 133 per mm-hmm. month. They come with a removable battery, bright LCD display, seven-speed gearing, and even five levels of pedal assist, depending on how, how much assistance you want, how fast you want to go. Super mm-hmm. cool. Plus, electric e-bikes are customizable and adjustable to your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I love mine. Living in LA, you don't have a ton of space. So a bike that you can fold up and store like essentially in a closet is so handy. Um, we also have kind of like, you know, hills here, right? We live around mountains. And so a bike that can give me a little bit of a pedal assist, even, you know, I like biking, so I like the act of it. But sometimes you're going over that hill and you're like, woof, this is hard. I love having that option on my electric e-bike. It's great. Check out the all new Expedition Cargo e-bike from Electric. Visit electricebikes.com to learn more about the Expedition Cargo e-bike and all of the other sweet models. Electric has to offer. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Back to the show. So before we left for the break, we were talking about how the poem Jack and Jill is uh, speculated to be a reference to King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, who, as we know, during the French Revolution, were removed from power and saw the wrong side of a guillotine. The king and queen were overthrown and beheaded in the 1793 reign of terror. In this interpretation, the hill would theoretically symbolize the steps they walked to the guillotine platform, and the losing of the crown is a reference to the king's head being chopped off. Blowing my mind here, Jess. It, it is. I was going to say, I was like, this is this is incredible. I didn't, yeah. I, this is fascinating. Um, yeah, Jack and Jill was first committed to text in the 18th century, so the timing would definitely track there. But there are some scholars who think that the poem predates the events of the French Revolution, consequently invalidating this interpretation. Yeah, and, there, and one of the things they point to is that in the Oxford Dictionary of Nursery Rhymes, it explains how the word after was pronounced more like otter in the 1600s. So cool. Etymology of the English language is fascinating. It is. But this would explain why in the stanza it's positioned to rhyme with water. Otter. Otter. Water. So that's that would be one thing that invalidates this being about Marie Antoinette and King Louis, even though I think that's it's would be fascinating if that's what it was about. In 2004's Heavy Words Lightly Thrown, English librarian Chris Roberts theorized that Jack and Jill actually went up that hill to lose their virginity. Please, Jessica, this is a family podcast. Okay, sorry, sorry. Jack and Jill went up the hill to um, hold hands and uh, look at the stars, Elise. Good. Play Switch together. <laughs> Play Pokemon. Catch Pokemon. Um, I mean, for me, that makes more sense to me, but I love the Marie Antoinette. 
yes uh, uh, theory i like that too but yeah the the whole like virginity in this would be like a, oh no don't go up the hill kids mm-hmm. um very puritan interpretation to me makes sense too our next nursery rhyme under scrutiny is mary mary quite contrary Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow with silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row? This one (laughs) is like seemingly innocuous, right? It sounds very sweet at first glance. You think it's about a girl or a woman named Mary. And (laughs) sure, she's a little contrary, but it it does sound like her passion lies in gardening, right? Maybe. Or Or maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> oh yeah, just her passion just lies in yeah. gardening. Yeah, you know. Um, there are a couple of different interpretations as to who Mary is. And one, it's Mary Tudor or Bloody Mary, the daughter of Henry VIII. So in this scenario, the line, How does your garden grow? could actually be meant as a taunt because Mary <laughs> suffered miscarriages and couldn't produce children. Mm-hmm. And then pretty maids all in a row would also be a line in poor taste referring to her miscarriages. Or there's a chance it had nothing to do with that and everything to do with the behavior that earned Mary the sobriquet Bloody Mary. Being a chip off the old block from Dad Henry, uh, Mary employed some pretty imaginative torture techniques in uh, her dungeons. Yeah, there's like one theory that the pretty maid is a reference to her lady-in-waiting or her handmaid who was uh, killed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mostly it might be in reference to those who opposed her shift back to a Catholic regime. She murdered many of her Protestant subjects uh, who refused to return to Catholicism under her edict and defied her. So the garden, the poem references could, in fact, be a nod to their graves and the flowers lining them. And that line about silver bells and cockle shells, some scholars think it's actually talking about torture devices and not necessarily flowers and uh, gardening and stuff. Yes, (laughs) it's too on the nose. It has to be because silver bells were literally like this torture device that resembles a thumb screw where the tortured person's thumb is inserted and then quite literally like, you know. There's a screw that they screw into their thumb. And then cockle shells were this clamp-like device that they would put on someone's genitals and, like, clamp them. So I'm I'm confident that this line, yes, has to be in reference to those torture devices. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 This is, I'd say this is the one in the episode where, like, it, I feel like it, it has to have a more morbid meaning to it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next up, uh, we have Here We Go Round the Mulberry Bush, which, like Ring Around the Rosie, usually involves children holding hands and dancing in a circle while singing the lyrics. This is another one that, like, I did not grow up with. Um, really? Do you, do you know the tune? Yeah, I, I know this one. Um, yeah. So it's like, it's like go, Here We Go, go Round the Mulberry Bush, the Mulberry Bush. I can't sing, though. So Here We Go Round the Mulberry Bush, the Mulberry Bush, the Mulberry Bush. Here We Go Round the Mulberry Bush on a cold and frosty morning. But it's like a different tune, I think. Like it's a borrowed yeah. tune. I vaguely remember this one. I just, it's not something that I'm like, oh, I, this is the one nursery rhyme I grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, <laughs> this was such a bop. This was the beat. Was it know? the beat? I don't even know what a mulberry <laughs> bush is. <laughs> I, I also, I guess like upon reflection reading this, I was like, I don't really know what a mulberry bush is either. <laughs> so don't feel bad. And and technically neither of us should feel bad because there is no such thing as a mulberry bush. Mulberries, okay, great. <laughs> they gr- they grow on trees. It should, the rhyme should be the mulberry tree. Okay. Regardless, mulberry bushes, aka mulberry trees, 
they have this kind of like literary import to them where they are regarded classically as trees of life. The Roman mm. poet Virgil called it the Labrador, a tree of gold, because it provided for food, medicine, and tool making. There are references in literature, mythology, and religious texts to mulberry trees. I guess this little little song was like, yeah. now it's yeah. called a bush. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. This, this yeah. is like, like, what, like, I feel like there are all these like grand references yeah. to the mulberry tree. And then someone was like, there, I should make a poem <laughs> about the bush. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, um, that's not. But what, anyway. Well, we'll get yeah. to what actually happened. But yeah. Yes. Yes. Um. So with all those references, you know, all painting this tree as a divine gift from a supreme being. So how exactly is this cute children's poem actually morbid? So there's a very real possibility that this rhyme originated in and is actually about a woman's prison. Yeah. Could not have pulled that out of thin air. I, I would have not no idea. Not with bush. Yeah. Well, well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> We got that. This this mulberry bush shit just got real, Jeff. (laughs) It got real. real. (laughs) Okay, it's about a prison. I from no line in this poem could I derive this is about a prison. No way. Um, in fact, it's HMP Wakefield in Wakefield, West Yorkshire, England, to be exact. First established in 1595 as a house of detention, it still operates today as a maximum security prison. And Wakefield actually has the nickname Monster Mansion due to the number of horrible and high risk sex offenders, murderers and criminals behind its gates, which like when I just saw initially Monster Mansion, I was like, man, I would love to go to a Monster Mansion. Frankenstein, <laughs> Dracula. <laughs> like, yeah. But, you know, but instead but, with, you know, sex yes. offenders, murderers. And then <laughs> I, I read the the qualifier and I was like, oh, no, not, not that mo- kind of Monster Mansion. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Until recently, a large twisty mulberry tree grew on Wakefield's grounds, the eponymous mulberry bush uh, of the song. Yes. And legend from the prison suggests that during the Victorian era, the female prisoners held at Wakefield would be sent to the courtyard to walk around the mulberry tree for their daily exercise. So which like okay. think about the next time that you're like, oh, I have to go to yoga or I'm getting on the Peloton. Oh, this is so, so boring. Think about these women were like, oh, I got to walk around this tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Women inmates would sometimes have their children living with them in convict nurseries if it was a childbirth shortly before she was condemned or after. Another theory uh, posits that the female inmates taught the song to their children and that's who would dance around the bush. Yeah. So they like have these children living in this prison, which I guess I, I never really thought about. But I guess that makes sense. Same, same. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to distract these children from the harsh realities of prison life. And what yeah. can they do but, you know, teach them little songs and dances? That theory makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, and like this tree, you know, we're talking about this being a thing that happened in the 19th century. And that's when the tree existed. This tree still existed until a few years ago. The mulberry tree of Wakefield Prison died in 2017 and they cut it down because it was uh, severely infested by beetles. Wow. Well, yeah. Well, the the, the bug, not the band. The ba- Got it. <laughs> you know I was confused. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've been walking around this tree. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. 
Well, it turns out a retired member of the gardening staff had taken clippings from the original tree in the 80s, and they're going to replace the tree with its leafy offspring. Oh, so maybe not so morbid an end for this Mm. tree after all. Maybe not, you know? Still called Monster Mansion. It's still, yes, it is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But at least Uh, we'll always forever think of it as, you know, where you can see Frankenstein and Dracula and all that. So yeah. Let 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 it live there in that happy place for you. Oh my gosh, Jess. Like you don't even understand how much I would love to go to a monster mansion. Not the prison. I mean I mean, you have a book about Mon- a mon- like it is kind of a monster mansion, spoiler yeah. alert. So it was, yeah, spoiler. Okay. Well, you can get that if you want to. But Aww. anyway, yeah. But the fact that you knew. Yeah. Please, <laughs> <laughs> you're so cute. <laughs> Oh, well, pl- pl- plug your book right now. This is time to plug it. Yeah, I wrote a book called The Night in Halloween House that is kind of about a monster mansion. You guys should go read it. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. It's a perfect read for um, like October. It's a children's like October. It, it is, but it's fun and you can. Um, oh. It sets up the atmosphere for, you know, Halloween, which Thanks, is your Jess. favorite holiday. It is. Ugh. You have the cutest Halloween decorations whenever you Halloween. Thank it's like, you. I love when you <laughs> looking at your stories um, when you're showing off all your little I Halloween just, decorations. And I I always try to keep the skeleton out year round. Actually, I have some like skeleton bats on my patio that I keep out year round. Well, yeah. Didn't you? I was actually there not too long ago. Didn't you have something on near your TV? Like your, there was something Halloween-y there. Maybe I'm. Oh, I always have like little figures and stuff like that. That's it. That's probably what I saw. And I have a piranha plant in my bathroom i guess i guess i, guess I keep my <laughs> decorations you do out. yeah now that lot. i think about it i was uh, sitting there christening your toilet yeah i saw <laughs> it it was great mm-hmm. oh thank you what a way to end this this podcast this season talking about I halloween know. talking about halloween yeah I'm, I'm ready for it again Me i know too. it's freaking february um but yeah this is the end of our fourth season of 30 Ooh. more minutes yeah and uh, I hope that you've all enjoyed the dark depths to which our curiosity has taken us. And if you're yeah. new to the show, we encourage you go back and listen to our old episodes for more stories and histories because uh, they're all evergreen. So you can listen anytime. Mm-hmm. And gosh, like we tell you guys to like send topics and we see them. There are so many good ones. There's just so many to cover and to pick from, uh, you know, fr- from y'all's recommendations and then also the things that make us curious as well. So, um, again, keep sending them. We, we love to hear them. There's just, this world is full of a lot of morbid and crazy stuff <laughs> to I know. cover. And, and some, <laughs> some like did get put into this season that we, like some, like spontaneous human combustion was one that I feel like we've gotten suggested yes. to us a lot that uh-huh. made it in the nursery rhymes. I know we've been suggested before. So in next season, um, we've already started talking about, there are some on the docket that would. Yes. Uh, our, our fan favorite suggestions. Yeah. I'm excited. More, more morbid coming your way. Mm-hmm. But for now so we'll we, be back. S- we sleep. We sleep now. We climb yes, into we'll our crypt. Yep. Season five is coming soon, but for now, uh, Elise, bad bye. Bye bye, Jessica. Bye.